Good morning. It's good to see you this morning. I want to begin by saying I'm, I'm thankful uh, for you, Crosspoint, for allowing me to serve here for the past five years. It has been a joy and a privilege, and you are to be appreciated because I know how I can give many of you a headache. And I'm not talking about just the preaching. Uh, and so I, I just, again, I, I have to say that I'm so thankful for you and the investment that you've had in my life and my family's life and the love and support that you've shown. Uh, we are, my wife and I are better followers of Jesus because of the people here at Crosspoint Baptist Church. So thank you. Um, I do want to share a couple of things uh, just in the life of our church that we can uh, pray for this morning as well. William and Ian Morvant had their baby last Sunday night. Little, yes, yes. Little Gary Morvant. And, uh, and so y'all can pray for them as they adjust. Uh, and then we can pray for Mr. Randy Milan who has, um, who has COVID. Um, and, uh, and so uh, I think the last thing I heard is it hit him like a ton of bricks. And so uh, we can pray for him. And then um, as you've been made aware, um, uh, Brian and Adam Pace's mom passed this past week. And we're thankful to have the Paces here this morning. And on behalf of Crosspoint, our condolences are to you and to your family on the loss of your mom. And so, um, so we will pray for them as well. So if you would join me in prayer. God, we thank you for this day. We thank you that you are a sovereign and good God, worthy of all praise, honor, adoration, and affection, God. And Lord, that you are a God who hears. You listen to the cries of your people. And God, you listen to our thanksgiving. You, you listen to our distress, God. And we're so thankful that we can come to a God who knows us and hears us. And right now, we want to we bring you thanks and rejoice over the life of Gary Morvant. We pray for William and Ian right now, that you would give them stamina right now uh, in the days ahead. And we, uh, you know, we pray for all the new parents, the Cranfields, the Morvants, uh, God, as they adjust to, to new lives with a baby and how difficult that can be at times, but how it can bring great joy. So we pray for them, God. Uh, Lord, I lift up Mr. Randy Milan to you right now. We pray that this would pass quickly, that it would be uh, just not serious on him and his body, God. We pray for quick healing and little effect on him, Lord. And then we lift up the paces to you right now, God, uh, that you would comfort them and that God as a church, we would grieve with those who grieve, God. And that, Lord, you would comfort their hearts with the comfort that you have shown us, God, as Second Corinthians 1 says. Lord, I pray for the funeral this week that the gospel would go out. People's ears would hear. They would see the brevity and just temporary nature of life. And they would run to Christ who is the resurrection and the life and provides eternal life. God, I pray again, thanking you for what you are doing in the life of Crosspoint. And I pray that, God, you would continue using us to make disciples of all nations for the good of all people and for the glory of God. Lord, we love you. We thank you. Be with us now as we open up your word. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts to feel, and to know you, God, better. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, again, if you are a guest this morning, I want to welcome you here at Crosspoint Baptist Church. Uh, Crosspoint Baptist Church exists. Would anybody like to say it with me so that it's not just me? 
Uh, we exist to make disciples of all nations for the good of all people and for the glory of God. That is why this church exists, for that very reason. And, uh, and so we're going to learn a little bit about this in the book of Jonah. We are in our third sermon uh, of uh, this series, and we will be looking at Jonah chapter 1, verses 11 through 17. And let me just go ahead and tell you this. If you missed last week's sermon, please go back and listen to Shane's sermon. It was incredible. It was like feasting at Golden Corral. Just, just everything, buffet, just it was so good, and I, I, I told this brother, I said, I needed to hear that sermon. I needed to hear that sermon. And so this week, if you have a chance, um, li- go back and listen to Shane's sermon. It was powerful. And so, but his sermon sets us up for this week, and it, it I, kind of just thinking about this text, it got me asking this question and thinking of myself. Have you ever hit rock bottom in your life? where maybe it's financially, maybe it's emotionally, physically, mentally, you've just hit the bottom, rock bottom, and there's really nowhere to go but up. You, you've just, everything's been depleted from you. Uh, th- there's nothing that you have left, and you are just at the end of your rope. You've hit rock bottom, right? Different life situations may happen where we get to that point, and it's interesting what God teaches us when we hit rock bottom, right? And what actually, uh, we're actually we're shown about ourselves and about who God is. And interestingly, is this is where we get here in Jonah chapter 1. Is we get Jonah hitting rock bottom in his life. Is that Jonah is trying every way he can to escape from God and what, he, what God has told him to do. He's trying to take every single route he can. And when Jonah thinks that he has outsmarted God, God has actually outsmarted Jonah in a sense. And that despite Jonah's disobedience, is that God is trying to bring him back into obedience by basically bringing him to rock bottom. That's what God is doing to Jonah. And that rock bottom for Jonah just happens to be the bottom of the belly of a fish at the bottom of the sea. Sounds like a children's book rhyme. But that's where God has brought Jonah. Swallowed up by fish at the bottom of the sea. He's brought him to his rock bottom. And this is where we find Jonah in his journey. And this is what we learn from it. As we learn this, that, that the Lord continues to work to save sinners despite his people's and his prophets' disobedience and spiritual digression. Is that God is still in the work of doing his plan, fulfilling his mission, saving sinners despite in spite of our disobedience and our rebellion against Him. Siri. Despite all those things. And so this is what we're going to see. As Jim brought up this morning, we're going to look at two big points. Is that we're going to see Jonah's digression as he goes down in the first couple of verses, and then we're going to see a pagan's profession. So look at here in verses 11 and 12 with me. As we see Jonah's digression. So as you heard last week, the point that we've gotten to is this, is that there's this huge storm. Jonah says he fears Yahweh, the the God of the heavens and the earth. They cast lots, kind of like dice, and figure out who, why why are they in this situation that they're in right now? And what happens? The lot, you know, God controls the lots, and the lots fall on who? Jonah. Jonah. 
And so here's what Jonah does. Jonah acknowledges, right? He acknowledges that I fled from the presence of the Lord. And the reason that we're in the situation that we are in right now with this whole storm and everything, yeah, it's because of me. Yeah, that, that, that's the reason. I was told to do something by God. I ran away from him, didn't want to do it. And the reason that we're in this situation right now is because of me. And so what the question is now is, what are the sailors going to do with him? And that's what they ask him in verse 11. He says, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? What's the remedy of the situation right now? What, what can we do to get out of this situation, get out of this environment? And what is, Jonah's, what is Jonah's answer? Throw me overboard. Hurl me overboard, right? As we said a couple weeks ago, there's a lot of hurling going on in this chapter. Is that God is hurling winds, right, in verse 4? And then the sailors are, in verse 5, they're hurling cargo over to lighten the ship. And now it comes down to Jonah saying, just hurl me overboard, right? Hurl me overboard, and that'll, that'll, that'll bring this all to an end, to a conclusion. And you might begin to think, oh, wow, what a considerate thing for Jonah to do. To, to, to sacrifice himself. To say, oh, out of my compassion, throw me overboard so that I can... I can sacrifice myself on your behalf, sailors. Well, pause there. If we read the entirety of the book, that's not really the portrait that we get of Jonah the prophet, of this considerate, compassionate person, right? We actually get the very opposite. The very reason he does not want to go to Nineveh is because he doesn't want the Ninevites to get God's compassion. That's what he says in chapter 4, verse 2. And so... His request to be thrown overboard is not because he's considerate and he wants a self-sacrifice for other people. No, this is actually the very opposite. Is that Jonah's request to be hurled overboard is another attempt for him to flee from God. It's his way of trying to get out. It's, it's his last-ditch effort to get away from the presence of the Lord and to get away from what God has commanded him to do via suicide in some sense. Because Jonah thinks he's, he's really smart. He's outsmarted God this time. Is that if, if, I, if I don't want to go and proclaim to those Ninevites, guess what? I'm not. I'm not doing it. I'm not. And no one's going to make me. Not even God. So he said, throw me overboard so I can die so I don't have to obey what God has told me to do. That's what Jonah is. But what does God do? Is that God outsmarts the prophet, right? Yeah, he gets hurled overboard and he thinks, yes, this is it. I'm dying. I don't have to obey God. But God, what does God do? He miraculously, in his sovereign provision, brings up a big fish out of the sea to swallow Jonah, thwarting Jonah's plan, right? That's what he does. Is that look at verse 17. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. Appointed. We're going to see that word over and over again in the book of Jonah. Is that God is interacting with his creation. Not just interacting, he's ruling over his creation. His creation does what he tells it to do. Right? Which is interesting. The fish is more obedient than the prophet. Isn't that funny? God appoints and tells the fish, swallow Jonah. What does the fish do? Swallows Jonah. That doesn't look very good for Jonah, right? Big fish is more obedient than a prophet. But God in his sovereignty over his creation, he brings up this fish where he miraculously swallows Jonah. 
and he is in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. But this is exactly what God is doing. He is upholding his plan when Jonah is trying over and over again to thwart it and to bring it to an end. But in order to uphold his plan, God has to thwart Jonah's plans. Because Jonah's plans are finite. They're going to fail. Because God is the one who is over creation and over the universe. His plans will remain and will go on forever. Job realizes this at the end of his life in Job 42 verse 2. He says this, I know that you, Yahweh, can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Jonah thinks he can thwart it. Jonah thinks that he can get rid of it, get out of it, but he cannot. And God will use a big fish to continue his purposes through Jonah. And so Jonah has been swallowed by a fish and he is brought down to the bottom, to the depths of the sea. We've already seen Jonah going down the whole time, right? But when he's given a He's given a a command, a task, go, and instead he goes the opposite way. He goes down towards Tarshish, down to Joppa. He goes down to get into a boat. He goes down into the inner parts of the boat. He's going down, 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 down. And now he's in the belly of a fish at the bottom of the sea as far down as he can go. And this descent for, for Jonah, it's indicative of his spiritual state, that he's running from God. And anyone who runs from God is not in a good position with God, right? Anyone in disobedience is not on good terms with God, right? And so for us, church, I want us to think about this, is that Jonah is trying to find every way out of obeying what God has said clearly, right? He's trying to find every way out where he will go even to just kill me so I don't have to obey God. That's what he's saying. Making every excuse, trying every attempt. And I just have to ask us this question. Man, God has spoken very clearly, right? Very clearly in his word. But sometimes in our sinful flesh, we will do and make every attempt we can to get out of what God has said. We will twist, we will turn, or we will just outright disobey. Make every attempt we can not to have to follow what God has said. And as you see from Jonah the prophet, that is a very dangerous position to put yourself in. That you make every excuse, we find every single way, excuse upon excuse, to not obey explicitly what God has said. And I would just say, say followers of Christ, let me be very blunt and clear, is that on judgment day, when we stand before God, there will be no excuses. There will be no, but, 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 but this, but that, but this, but that, but this. There's no excuses on judgment day. There are none. Either we're going to obey or we're not. And if we don't, that is a very serious position that we put ourselves in with God. And so what right now in your life, let me just leave you with this to think about. What right now in your life has God explicitly said in his word that you find yourself just pushing against, just finding every excuse not to obey it. And I would just say this, let Jonah be a warning to you. You will not get away. And so at this point in the story, you know, Jonah's being this just cantankerous prophet, right? 
just being honoring. Just not doing what God has explicitly said for him to do. And you might be thinking, God's not going to get anything done with a prophet like this. He's not going to get any of his plans and purposes done. This is a cantankerous, honorary prophet. And so God, God's got to just throw in the towel here, right? He, he, ain't, he ain't saving nobody today with this kind of prophet, Jonah. Well, thankfully, thankfully, God can work in spite of honorary, rebellious, disobedient prophets, right? Can I get an amen? Amen. Isn't that true for us? Is that God works in spite of our just sinful, honorary, pushback, disobedience. Praise God that He is bigger than us. And so this is point number two. We see Jonah's digression, but there is actually a glimmer of hope and just excitement in this story that God continues His purposes in that there's a pagan profession here. Pagan profession. Look at this in verses 13 through 16. We see pagans professing to the Lord. Have you ever, have you ever tried really hard to fail at something and still ended up being very good at it? It's not usually my case. When I try hard to fail at something, I usually succeed. I'm really good at that. Usually it turns out to, like, I fake. Well, I guess I fake. Don't tell my wife this if she's watching. Is that, you know, I really, I try hard to be bad at dishes. Oh, I just can't do it. Like, I'm just not good at this. Like, just not. So I don't have to do them. You ever done that? Oh, don't act like it's just me, people. Seriously? Oh, no, I would never do something like that. That's despicable. Like, you be bad at something. Like, oh, I'm just not good at, I can't fold this, this bed sheet. Like, it's got these elastic things on it. It just doesn't fold. Like, I'm really bad. Ma- baby, you should do this. You're, a pr- you're great at this. God has gifted you at this, folding this bed sheet. I'll just, I'll just watch in amazement. So, yeah, I do that. <clears throat> but I try really hard to fail at something so I don't have to do it. But this is, this is kind of a different question. Have you tried hard to fail at something and you still continue to succeed? You still, there's still good results here. And honestly, that's kind of what we're seeing in, in Jonah, right? He is trying really, really hard to fail at obeying God, right? He's trying really, really hard to fail at bringing about God's purposes in the world. He's trying really, really, really hard through his disobedience to thwart all of God's plans. But interestingly, God's plans continue to succeed. And God actually brings about his plans using Jonah's disobedience. Right? That's what he does. So look at this here in verses 13 through 16 with me real quick is that the section becomes less about Jonah and more about these sailors. That's where the text zooms in on. Less about Jonah the prophet, which the book is named after, and now it's more on these pagan sailors. And if you remember uh, what, what Shane said last week, you've got to remember these guys. These sailors, they, look, they're, they ain't church-going folk here. Uh, these are guys who are polytheists. They worship multiple gods. You saw that in, in the earlier verses is that, hey, call out to your gods, whoever it may be, and, and, and throw out prayers to them. So maybe one of your gods will help us here, right? And so they're not, they're not worshiping Yahweh here at this point. They're worshiping all their other gods. And so you don't expect these pagan sailors to be kind of um, receptive to the prophet's message. But... So they're asked, you know, Jonah tells them, throw me overboard. Well, rather than complying with Jonah's request, they make their best attempt at saving Jonah's life. 
You see this here. Rather than, rather than throw them overboard, they, nevertheless, verse 13, the men row hard, digging in to try and get back to dry land to save themselves and to save Jonah. Which is really interesting if you look how far we've gotten here, is that the sailors, the pagan sailors, have a lot of consideration and care to preserve Jonah's life. Yet Jonah has really no care to preserve their lives or even their salvation. Isn't that interesting, the contrast? Is that pagan sailors have concern and care for this prophet that has put them in this situation, that they will try their hardest for him not to die. Yet all along the while, the prophet, he's been asleep on a boat. He doesn't really care what's going on around him. doesn't really care that, you know, upstairs that these guys are going frantic and about to lose their life. There's a contrast here. But these sailors, they make their best attempt. They make their best attempt to preserve Jonah's life, but they see that their rowing is just in vain. The storm continues to get worse and worse and worse. And so what do they do? Verse 14, they call out to God. They call out to God. Therefore, they call out to the Lord. O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life. Lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. Is that, man, pagan sailors right now have realized that they can't get back to shore. They can't save Jonah's life or their own life. And so they are the ones calling out to God. Not the prophet. Not the prophet. The pagan sailors are calling out to God. Do you see this? Is that it's a role reversal. Is that you would expect the prophet to be calling out to his God, but this whole time in Jonah, Jonah's been very silent. You know, he said one a couple words, you know, I fear, I fear the Lord God of heavens and the earth. You know, I'm Hebrew, blah, blah, blah. He says, I'm the reason for this all come. But in the midst of this whole situation, the prophet has not called out to God for help. Even when he's been instructed by pagan sailors. Y'all remember when he was asleep downstairs? And they're like, call out to your God. Pagan sailors are telling him to call out to his God. And he doesn't. We get no indication of that. But we get the pagans. They are calling out to God. They are making petitions to God. They are making sacrifices to God. They are making vows to God in the midst of the storm. And what is interesting is that in this petition, in this kind of profession in verse 14, they seem to believe a couple of things about God, this Yahweh. Look at this, verse 14. They seem to believe that this God, this Yahweh that Jonah serves, is a judge. He says this, Oh Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood. They seem to believe about Yahweh that he actually holds people accountable for their sins and that he is actually the one who gets to judge and uh, distinguish between innocence and guilty. And so they seem to believe in, in their request and their petition to God that this God of the heavens and the earth who creates storms and sin storms is actually a judge as well who gets to determine guilt and innocence, sin and righteousness. And is that not true of what the entire scriptures say? And we are just hearing it from the mouth of pagan sailors. That our God is a righteous judge who does distinguish between sin and righteousness, innocent and guilt. And he ultimately is the one whom all people, all people, us, are held and accountable to. The pagan sailors realize and recognize that this God who has sent this storm 
is a just judge. But not only that, they seem to believe about this Yahweh that God is also sovereign, meaning he is in control of all things. Look at what he says at the end of verse 14. O Lord, have done as it pleased you. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. That they seem to believe that all these things that are going on on their boat are because the Lord has desired it. Are because it pleased the Lord to do these very things. Because he is the one who has sent all these things. And what is so beautiful about this is that these are actually the words of the Psalms. Is that the Psalms are coming off the lips of pagan sailors. If you want to write these down, Psalm 115.3, it says, Our God is in the heavens and he does all that he pleases. Psalm 135.6, whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and on earth, in the seas and all the deeps. So the pagan sailors seem to realize that whatever happens in this world, whether it be storms or raging winds, whatever it may be, it is because it is the Lord's desire for it to be. And he is the one that controls these things. This is what pagan sailors are saying. That this God in the heavens, he does all that he pleases. They believe. It seems to indicate that they believe that this God is sovereign. And there is irony here in this profession. There's irony here. A guy by the name of Tim Mackey says it really well. He says this. Listen. The irony is that Jonah confessed to believe in the God of the heavens. Yet it is the sailors who actually understand the implications of such a belief. Let me read that to you one more time. The irony is that Jonah confessed to believe in the God of heavens and the earth, yet it is the sailors who actually understand the implications of such a belief. They recognize the storm as God's purpose and the result of his power over the sea. Do you see this? Is that in, in verse 9... Jonah is the one who is professing it with his mouth that God is sovereign and the creator of all things on earth. But it's actually the sailors who are living this truth out. Who actually not only just say it with their mouths, but they actually believe it and show it with their lives. Is that, yeah, Jonah may be a good theologian, but he is a bad follower. He may espouse the right theology, but his life is not changed or impacted by it. He may say the right things, but it makes no change in how he acts. But here, the sailors, it's actually, ironically, the pagan sailors who seem to believe that God is sovereign, and they respond in ways that show that God is sovereign. And that they know that this storm has come from God, so what do they do? They make vows. They offer sacrifices. And they fear the Lord. They fear the Lord. And so... Church, I want to ask you this. Is that we can be really good, really good theologians. We can espouse the right theology. But is it in accordance with how we live? Is that do your beliefs about God align with your obedience to God? Is that what you believe, does it actually come out in how you live? Do you actually believe that God is sovereign? And if so, then it has vast implications for how you live. If you believe that God is sovereign, then it will affect how you handle different things in your life, like job loss or declining health. 
or anxiety and depression or marriage problems or parenting problems. Sickness, cancer, persecution, an unstable world is that if you truly believe that God is sovereign, then it will have vast implications for your life and how you live and how you operate in this world. It's not just a statement we say and think, but it's actually something that we believe in our hearts and it changes how we interact in this world. And when suffering and pain do come, we are able to say, maybe at the bedside of somebody who has just died or when our health is declining, we can say, our God is in the heavens and He does whatever He pleases. And so what we must say And what we must think through is this question. And it's two parts. Do you believe that God does all that He pleases? Do you believe that God does all that He pleases? If so, then do you believe that all that He pleases to do is good? Do you believe that God does all that He pleases? And also, do you believe that all that He pleases to do is good? Because that is what the Bible says, is that what God does is what He pleases to do. And what He pleases to do is ultimately good. Because He is good. Though you may not see it, though you may not understand in whatever situation that you're in, we must believe this because the Bible is over and over harping on this. That God does all that He pleases. He is sovereign. And that what He pleases to do is for your good, as Romans 8 says. We must believe that, because our God is good. And so how do you respond to God's sovereignty? Respond like the sailors. The sailors genuinely fear the Lord. They are the models of fearing the Lord here, not Jonah. One author says, it is the pagan sailors, not the Israelite prophet, who are the models of what it means to fear The Lord. So if you fear the Lord, then how does it show itself in your own life? Because it's not just by espousing theological doctrine, which is very important to believe the right things about God, but it's also important to not just believe the right things about God, but to act in accordance with what we believe about God. And so what we learn here is God is still in the business of saving sinners. Even pagan sailors. Is it, yeah, Jonah's been disobedient up to this point. It looks like God's not going to get anything done with this prophet, through this prophet. But even here, God still saved pagan sailors where they come and they fear him and bow down and make sacrifices to him. Is that we must remember and realize this. And this makes sense with our mission statement. Is that God does work through his people, but he doesn't need his people. Remember that. Yeah, our, our mission statement is make disciples of all nations for the good of all people and for the glory of God. God desires to work through us, Cross Point, but it is not because he needs us. God is self-sufficient. He has no needs. He has no wants. As the psalmist says, he owns the cattle on what? A thousand hills. He has no needs. He is self-sufficient. But he desires to use us, cross point, to make disciples of all nations for the good of all people, for the glory of God. We get to participate in this. And so God is still in the business of saving sinners despite our disobedience. 
And so we see these two themes here. God's sovereignty over all creation and his desire to save sinners. This is, this is what we're seeing in Jonah. His sovereignty and his desire to save sinners. And these two themes will appear together throughout the Bible. And what we'll find out is that they will appear many years later. Many years later. Where God will be in a boat with terrified men. And they will be first-hand observers to his sovereignty over his creation and his desire to save sinners. And if you would, would you turn with me to the book of Mark? Book of Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41. And what I want you to do, I'm going to read this out loud. If you will put, put your eyes on this. I want you to see the number of parallels here that happen in this story with Jesus and his disciples on the Sea of Galilee and how it's almost like everything that's going on in the book of Jonah is going on right here in Mark 4, 35-41. So I want, you, I want you to just really read closely these verses and see the similarities and parallels between these two. It says this, Mark four thirty five. On that day when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him and with them in the boat. Mm, there's a boat. Interesting. Mm. Just as he was, and other boats were with him, and a great windstorm arose. Interesting. There was a storm on the sea. Coincidence? I think not. There was a windstorm. And the waves were breaking into the boat. So the, the boat was already filling. Huh. Sounds like a life-threatening situation, right? I think I've heard that before. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. Coincidence, right? And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the sea and said, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, what, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear. And said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Do you see all the parallels here to Jonah's story? Where we get God in a boat with terrified men. He is asleep in the bottom of the boat. He is awakened because they think he has no concern for their lives. And yet he is the one who comes to the stern. And he calms the wind and the sea. Showing his power and sovereignty over creation. And also showing his desire to save them. And not just them, but future generations and all people. This is Jesus. One author said it like this. Look at these parallels. Both Jonah and Jesus fall asleep in their respective boats, unperturbed by the storms that threaten to sink the crafts. Both are awakened rudely by scared shipmates. And once the storms stop with no lives lost, the shipmates in both stories exhibit fearful awe in response to their deliver deliverance by divine power that remains foreign to them. Is that we see in both cases a display of God's sovereignty and His desire to save 
sinners. And here we get Jesus in a boat with terrified men. And He shows His power and sovereignty, displaying that He is truly God in the flesh. And He shows His desire to save those who are in the boat with Him. But they will be, those disciples will be first-hand observers to what Jesus will later do when He dies on the cross and shows His desire to save the nations and is raised from the dead, showing His desire to bring life to all people who put their faith in Jesus and repent of their sins. This is not just coincidence, people. This is showing that Jesus is fully God and He desires even to this day to save sinners. And so what I would just say to you is this. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, I pray that this morning that the story of Jonah would be for you a wake-up call. That you might think you can thwart God's plans and make every excuse to get away, but God is one who chases after us and He does not relent. And that we could be endangering ourselves to be so disobedient to Him. And He, on Judgment Day, will not take excuses of why we did not obey Him. Let it awaken you. And if you are not a follower of Jesus, I would just say, look here. God steps into our world and He calms the storm and the seas and showing His divine sovereignty and His power and His desire to save people. And Jesus has the same desire this morning to show His power and His sovereignty to you through His Word and through your life. And this morning, He still has a desire to save sinners. And that if this morning, as we all are, if you are a sinner and you need grace and you need forgiveness and you need truth and you need life, know that you can find it in the Jesus who has power over all creation. You can find it in Him. And that is, that is the only place that you can find it. This morning, you will be searching all over the world for somebody who can come and bring you relief from your sin and your brokenness and your rebellion against God. And you will find none that will give you the fix that you need. It is only Christ through His life and death and resurrection. And this morning, He can give you that. Would you pray with me? God, we love You. And we thank you that we are able to behold your goodness, your grace, your mercy, your power and sovereignty, and your desire to save sinners through your word. I pray this morning, God, that we would come in response to seeing these things, hearing these things, reading these things. That we would be like the pagan sailors and we would respond in great fear to you and humble submission to you. And not like the prophet Jonah, living in disobedience, trying to run as far away as we can. God, by the power of your grace, help us to submit and live in fear of you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. I want to invite our worship team back up this morning to, to lead us in our last song. And this morning, if you are... If you have questions about what you've heard this morning, if you have uh, thoughts you want to share, if there's something that you're struggling with, myself and Jim are here this morning. We would love to speak with you about how we can shepherd and pastor you and help you through some of these things. Or if you have come to the realization this morning that you need Christ, then this morning we would love to speak with you about that, about how you can know God through Christ Jesus, experience His goodness and grace and forgiveness, and find rest in Him.